Welcome to Faith Life 365. This is episode number 42. My name is Tim Hardison. If you missed any past episodes, please go back, listen, get caught up with us. www.faithlife365.org. You can select from videos, podcasts, or you can read the blog. Now we're going to pick back up here today where we left off uh, talking about the topic of religion or word of God. Let's say a prayer and get started. Father God, we come before you in the name of Jesus. We just thank you, Father, for your many blessings in our lives. Father God, we ask that you would open our hearts today, open our minds, open our eyes that we may see, and open our ears that we may hear. Give us revelation, knowledge, wisdom, and understanding of your word, Father, not not religion, but your word. Let it be spoken into our hearts. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come into our hearts now and open Open us up to the understanding of the word in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. All right. Now, in episode 41, we left off at a very critical part in our discussion of salvation. So now if you missed uh, that episode or or prior ones, please go back. Get caught up with us now. We're just going to jump right in here. And some denominations... uh, or I should say uh, some denominational theologies, they say that if you sin and you do not confess your sin before you die, uh, you will lose your salvation. And some say that in order to receive salvation, you must first confess your sins. But nowhere in the New Testament, in the Word of God, does it say either of these things. Um, there is one scripture, one scripture in the entire New Testament that speaks of confessing our sins to God. And that's in 1 John in chapter 1 and verse 9 of the King James Version. And it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And this scripture is often taught as meaning that if if we sin after we become a Christian and we do not confess our sins, we will not be forgiven of our sins and we will lose our eternal salvation and we will be sent to hell. And so I've, I must I've just got to ask this question if you believe that or if that's what what your denomination teaches uh, or if that's your theology. So if our salvation is dependent upon us confessing our sins, what happens if we accidentally fail to confess a sin? I mean, and then we die before we can confess it. You know, maybe maybe I've sinned and I've meant and I want to confess it, but I, it, maybe my heart stops and I die. Maybe I'm hit by a train. Who knows? But what happens if I die before I have an opportunity to confess that sin? Are we doomed to hell? Am I doomed to hell? So additionally, if our salvation is dependent upon us confessing our sins, that means that we have to earn our salvation by our works of confessing our sins And that means it's no longer a free gift from God. 
or by God's grace. So if that's true, then the word of God is in conflict with itself because it says that we are saved by God's grace through our faith and that it's not of ourselves, least any man should boast. Now, we do have to first accept and acknowledge that we are sinners in order to know that we need a savior. Uh, you know, nowhere uh, in the New Testament word of God, though, does it say that in order to receive salvation or to keep our salvation once obtained, we have to first confess our sins or confess our sins when they happen or when we become aware of them. It just is not in the New Testament. So Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9 of the Amplified says, For it is by grace, God's remarkable compassion and favor drawing you to Christ, that you have been saved, actually delivered from judgment and given eternal life through faith. And this salvation is not of yourselves, not through your own effort, but it is the undeserved gracious gift of God, not as a result of your works, nor your attempts to keep the law, so that no one will be able to boast or take credit in any way for his salvation. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 and 2 of the King James Version, it says, For since the law has only a shadow, just a pale representation of the good things to come, not the very image of those things, it can never, by offering the same sacrifices continually year after year, make perfect those who approach its altars. For if it were otherwise, would not these sacrifices have stopped being offered for the worshipers, having once for all time been cleansed, would no longer have a consciousness of sin? Now, this scripture is telling us that under the old covenant law, the sacrifices were offered continually as a pale representation of good things to come. The animal sacrifices could not make perfect those who sacrifice. Otherwise, the sacrifices would not have to be made continually because they would have been cleansed of sin once and for all with the first sacrifice. But that's not how it was. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 10 through 14 of the King James Version. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. But under the new covenant, Jesus became the sacrifice once, one sacrifice for all sin forever, and for all people who accept him as Lord and Savior once forever. For by one offering, he had perfected forever 
them that are sanctified. Period. That's I'm reading the word of God. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, King James Version. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than now or being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. You see, this is our new covenant. Now, back in episodes uh, 11 through 14, uh, I talked about or we covered the old and the new covenants. And, and we covered how covenants were uh, back in that uh, biblical times and are made uh, today and the significance of a covenant. And we talked about how when a covenant is made, the terms are written down and agreed to and, and read publicly. And additionally, uh, curses, the consequences for breaking the covenant were also proclaimed before all. And that's the same thing as if you uh, write a contract today, if you buy a house, you sign a contract, a mortgage agreement. My goodness, the stack of papers is, is ridiculous. And it covers everything in there that you're obligated to do. And it covers what happens if you break your obligations and what happens if the bank breaks their obligations or don't meet their obligations. It covers it all. It's a written document. Um, so many scriptures clearly state how we obtain salvation and eternal life under the new covenant. And not one of these scriptures, not one scripture that speaks of salvation and, and how we obtain salvation makes a proclamation that our salvation or eternal life is conditional based on our performance or works after we're saved. Not one scripture that teaches us of salvation and how we obtain it. Not one is conditional on our performance after we are saved. The Word of God clearly and unequivocally states that our salvation is a free gift from God by His grace. Our requirement for salvation under the new covenant is to have faith and to believe in our hearts that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus died for our sins, and that Jesus arose from the dead on the third day and for us to confess him as our Lord and Savior, to make a public confession, profession, that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. God's part of the new covenant states that if we do this by his grace, he redeems us from sin and grants us eternal life and makes us a new creature in Christ Jesus he seals our spirits and sends the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of our promised redemption. You see, the new covenant attached no other conditions on our salvation and eternal life. If that were the case, if, if, if it was conditional upon our works after we're saved, it would have clearly been written out in the covenant as a part of uh, our, our, our acceptance of Christ and our salvation. Now, I know some may be sitting there. So you're saying it's okay to go live in sin. God forbid. 
This is what the Apostle Paul said twice in the book of Romans about going out and just living in sin. God forbid. Well, you see, some religions have taught us that committing a sin uh, always leads the believer straight back to hell. And this is just not what the Word of God says. See, we're to strive to live holy lives. The Word calls us to walk after and, and in the Spirit, not after the lusts of the flesh. We're to walk you know, after the Spirit or in the Spirit, not after the flesh or in the flesh. So, without question, we are to strive to live our lives as holy and as righteous as we can. But we, in ourselves, in the flesh, we're incapable of living a life completely without sin. God knew this, and that's why he sent his only begotten son so that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We are called to live holy lives under the new covenant. We are called to turn from sin and follow after the spirit, not after the flesh. So somebody's there scratching their head right now, probably, and they're saying, you know, I'm, I'm confused. So should we still confess and repent our sins then when we commit them? Well, yes, absolutely. The Holy Spirit will convict us of our sins so that we turn from sin. But we're not confessing and repenting our sins so that God will not send us to hell. However, if we knowingly continue in sin, even though the Holy Spirit is convicting us of our sin, and, and if we do not confess and repent our sins, there will be consequences. It's not as if there's no consequence. You just go live in sin, have a great time, no worries. There are worries, there are concerns, there are consequences. If, if, if we were to continue in sin and go deeper into a sinful life, uh, the deeper you go into this, the more you get caught up in it. Well, you're going to get into that Hebrews chapter 6 area and risk renouncing God and being given over to a reprobate mind. And there does come a point where you fall far enough into sin that you renounce God, that you turn completely from God. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4 through 8, English Standard Version for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. Since they are crucifying once again the son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. But, but what if if we are just ordinary Christians, we're ordinary Christian people, we're trying to live the best that we can and we commit a sin. I mean, maybe, maybe it's, it's what you'd be considered a major, more major sin. You know, maybe, maybe you're struggling in life and uh, commit adultery. Satan is there to kill, steal, and destroy. He's there. He's the, he is the great deceiver. Uh, it happens. Christian men and women commit sins. They commit adultery. They commit other sins. 
let's say you get addicted to drugs or alcohol. You know, there, there's certain drugs, they say that one person can take that drug one time and, and be addicted to it. Um, maybe maybe you have chronic pain. You've been on a, on a painkiller and then you're taking off the painkillers, but now you're addicted to the painkillers. This has happened to many, many people, many prominent people. Uh, so you get addicted to drugs and you can't get that drug. So then they go out and find what other drug that they can get to try to make up for that addiction that they now have. Um, what about alcohol? People become alcoholics. Maybe they're trying to wash some pain away because they've fallen away and they're not they're not trusting God. And they end up drinking alcohol. So but people will say, well, surely you know, if we're if if we're an alcoholic, if if we're a drug addict, if if we've committed adultery, I mean, surely God's going to send us to hell for that, right? I mean, that's you're going to hell. But see, not according to the Word of God. I mean, I, I know it's hard for many to fully grasp the enormity of the love and the grace of God that He has extended to us. See, religion often says, well, that's unjust. If, if you commit a sin like these, I mean, you should be condemned to hell. You know, I mean, unless you confess and repent, you go to hell for that. Well, let me ask you something. This, this is going to get a little bit touchy. Well, let me ask you this. How about people who are grossly overweight or, or just obese? You know, I mean... Seriously, let's think about this. You can't get obese by just overeating once or twice. Just as an alcoholic can't become addicted to alcohol by just drinking an occasional glass of wine or having a beer for dinner. Yet, gluttony, or shall we say a lack of self-control while eating, seems to be an acceptable sin for many Christians. I mean, the same people that will say, "Well, alcohol you can't because this this is this is uh, this is the temple, right? Our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit, a temple of the Lord God, <clears throat> and that's correct. It is one hundred percent. But it don't just apply to alcohol or drugs. <clears throat> I mean, if you are obese, are you not defiling the temple?" Are you not? I mean, think about this. However, most Christians would never dare place an obese Christian in the same category as an adulterer or an alcoholic or a drug addict. But yet they're all equal sin. What? <laughs> I know. I know. Somebody, somebody pick Ann Ethel up off the floor again. Look. I told you it's going to get touchy, but it's true. It's true based on the word of God. So you see, there, there are many, many sins to choose from that many Christians just kind of accept as okay. You know, there may be little white lies, maybe borrowing a few ink pens or rubber bands or paper clips from work. It's not that you grabbed them and, <clears throat> excuse me, took them just because you wanted to water pens or paper clips at home but you know 
the pins in your briefcase, the pins doing whatever, and then somehow it ends up on your kitchen table and somehow it ends up in your pen drawer. And what do you know? You have pins that don't belong to you that you took from work and they're in your drawer. Did you mean to be a thief? Were you trying to steal them? We can take this to a whole lot of levels. Um, what about gossiping about other people? What about idle words and speaking poorly about other people? I'm, I'm guilty. I'm trying not to be guilty. I'm trying to change everything about. I try hard and ask that the Holy Spirit convict me if I start speaking out of line and idle words and and uh, I'm guilty. It, it, it's it's just as it's just like just gossip. I had you hear about so and so. Ha ha. Maybe it was a funny story or whatever, but it's still gossip, right? What about unforgiveness? Is there anybody you're harboring some unforgiveness over? Maybe somebody has really hurt you or upset you or made you mad. This list goes on for days. But the cold, hard fact is, is sin is sin. No one sin is any bigger or less or greater or more you know, than any other sin. It's sin is sin. So how often have you heard the phrase, the wages of sin is death. Does that mean that as a Christian, that the wage of every sin sends us to hell? Is death hell? See, religion often wants to interpret the scripture in this manner. But the word of God doesn't say the wages of sin is death and eternal damnation to hell. Romans chapter 6, verses 20 through 23 to King James Version, it says, For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but, there's a but there, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See again, religion often takes this verse and plucks it out. For the wages of sin is death. And this is quoted over and over from the pulpit in churches to Christians as meaning you'll be sent to hell if you sin and you don't get that sin confessed and you don't get that repented. If you do it, you're going to hell. Yet that's not what the verse is saying to us. It's plucked out of a context of a verse. The Apostle Paul is saying that before we knew Christ as our Savior, we were servants to sin and that the wages of sin without Christ Jesus is death. And death without accepting Jesus will result in eternal damnation. But look, look right in the same paragraph that we're reading. But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but, but, make that a bold, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's much different than just 
the wages of sin is death. <clears throat> when we're born again in Christ Jesus, our spirits are recreated, and we are made to be a new creature. God sees our new recreated spirit made from the incorruptible seed of God himself. He no longer sees our flesh made from corruptible seed. Our recreated spirit is sealed by the Holy Spirit. It's washed white as snow in the precious blood of Jesus. It's made to be the righteousness of God. See, as Christians, when we commit a sin in our flesh, there are consequences. But those consequences uh, are consequences are not instant condemnation to hell. And that's the word of God. That's not something I'm just making up. We've read the scriptures. Sin ultimately leads to death and eternal damnation for those who do not accept Jesus. This is word of God fact. For Christians, sinning can certainly lead to physical death, but not spiritual death unless you, as a mature Christian, renounce God, blaspheme the Holy Spirit, or you accept the mark of the beast. See, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, that's another topic, and we'll cover that at another time. Many sins have very harmful consequences to our physical bodies, and, and they will lead to to physical death much earlier than we would naturally die. Adultery leads to pain, hurt, and shame for many families, uh, and sometimes financial ruin. It can also lead to transmittable diseases, uh, causing pain and harm, and in, in some cases, death. The same for fornication. This often leads to the transmission of painful and deadly diseases, especially in our modern day. Alcoholism, drug addiction, both lead to devastating effects on the body. They often uh, lead to much pain and even death. They all destroy families and lives. Gluttony and obesity lead to many health issues, including diabetes, heart disease, high blood pressure, uh, chronic pain, other organ uh, and joint issues, many times leading to an early death. Some sins may send you to jail or bring other serious legal and financial issues. These are consequences we suffer from sin here on earth. But, but what about the spiritual side of it? What about, what about when we get to heaven? What about after we die as a Christian, but though we have sinned and not confessed our sin? We should say unconfessed sins. So let's make no mistake about it. The Word of God says that, that we, as Christians, will be held accountable and face judgment for our sins, our actions, our works, right down to the idle words that we speak while on this earth. However, we are given exceptions to this judgment. When we accept Jesus and we are born again, we're washed and cleansed in the blood of Jesus, and all of our prior sins are forgiven. They're washed away. We're made to be a new creature in Christ Jesus. Our past sins no longer exist in the eyes of God. If you, you go to God and say, ah, back you know, it's years ago I did this, and God, I don't know what you're talking about. I see washed in the blood, forgotten, gone, didn't exist. No matter how bad you were 
prior to becoming a Christian, it, it, it doesn't matter. Your past is washed clean and totally forgiven and forgotten by God. He will not bring that before you again. It's gone. Additionally, when we sin after becoming a Christian, if we confess our sins, God is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So again, these sins are washed clean by the blood of Jesus and totally forgiven and forgotten by God. So what happens if we sin as a Christian and, and we don't confess our sin? Well, you're going, Christ will judge us at the Bema seat judgment, uh, better known as the judgment seat of Christ, and, and we will account for our unconfessed sins along with our works or lack thereof and, and all unconfessed idle words spoken while on this earth. First um, John uh, chapter one and verse nine of King James: If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, we will be forgiven our sins and we will be cleansed from all unrighteousness. When we confess and repent for our sins, we are cleansed and our sins are forgiven; they're washed away. We will never be held accountable for sins that are forgiven and washed away. Now, at the judgment seat of Christ, immediately following the rapture of the church or the church being caught up in the clouds, we will be judged. Now, this is not a judgment of whether or not you're going to heaven. Uh, the great white throne judgment is the judgment that will determine the fate of unbelievers and those who have falsely claimed to be Christians. The great white throne judgment occurs a thousand years after the church is raptured and the judgment seat of Christ takes place. Now, if you have been raptured up, taken up, or if you have died prior to the rapture, you are, and, you, and, and you're a child of God, you have been granted eternal life with him in heaven. The judgment seat of Christ is a judgment of your Christian life, and it will determine the rewards, if any, that you're going to receive in heaven, and any positions that you will be assigned. In this, in this judgment, uh, Christ will examine your earthly works. Now, now, some may be saying, well, now, brother, our works, our works don't get us to heaven. That's the gift of God. And, and if, you, if that's kind of what you're taking me to be saying, you are correct. This judgment has nothing to do with getting you into heaven. You are already in heaven when this takes place. So Matthew chapter 16, verse 17, New, New Living Translation for the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. And Romans 14, 10 through 12, English Standard. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or, or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Now this particular scripture, I believe... It's probably going to be more in line with the great white throne judgment, but we are going to give an account uh, to God. So I'm, I believe it applies to both. But 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 to 15, New King James Version. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. 
Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet so as through the fire. Matthew twelve thirty six New Living Translation. And I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. For if we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that which he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5 and 10, the Greek word phallos is uh, translated into the English word bad, and some uh, translations use the word evil. <clears throat> the definition of the Greek word phallos, according to Thayer's Greek lexicon, is easy, slight, ordinary, mean, worthless, of no account, ethically bad, wicked, or base. So as you can see, we, we will be judged for our works and our actions and our words, good or bad, uh, bad can also be mean, wicked, sinful, worthless, of no account. Uh, we as Christians have been called to follow Jesus. Our work is not finished when we accept Jesus and confess him as our Lord and Savior. Just the opposite. Our work is just beginning and we'll be judged based on on the lives that we live. And you, it's going to be based on are you doing what God has called you to do in in your life? And you may see someone of great fame that's a minister or and and this person may have won countless lives to to christ and but if if god had called this person to go to a certain area or a certain country or to do a certain thing and they didn't do it but they they did more or less what they wanted to do but yet it was still produced fruit See, they're going to be judged for that. So you, maybe you're just taking care of your family. Maybe God called you. Maybe if you're a mother or if you're a certain to just stay home and raise your child and do this. Or God asked you as a man to just go do something. Go clean the church every week. Go help build something over here that you may think is so small compared to what this other great person did. When you get to heaven, if you did what God asked you to do, no matter how small you think it was, you will receive greater rewards than someone who you might have thought did great on earth, but didn't necessarily follow what God asked them to do. I hope that makes sense. Now, I want to quote from Dr. David Jeremiah's book, The Book of Signs. It's referring to the judgment seat of Christ. And Dr. Jeremiah says, the New Testament Greek word for judgment seat or judgment seat is bima. Now, this, this word can also be translated as throne, tribunal, platform, or raised place, depending on the context. In each case, whether referring to Christ or a public official of some sort, the implication is always the same. The bema was a place of authority from which one made announcements, declarations, speeches, or judgments. In Paul's use of the word in relationship to the judgment seat, he is always referring to the Bema seat in an Olympic arena, end quote. Now, the Bema seat in an Olympic arena was an elevated seat where the judge would set to judge the contestants competing in the Olympic Games, and the judge would determine the order in which the contestants finished in each event 
and would then hand out rewards or crowns for those who finished in positions high enough to receive such awards. Now, we're, we're not going to get deep into weeds here on heavenly rewards, but the Bible tells us in the New Testament that of the rewards, there are five crowns, uh, the incorruptible crown or victor's crown, the crown of rejoicing, the crown of life, the crown of glory, the crown of, uh, the crown of righteousness. And I've heard and, and read different pastors, ministers, uh, evangelists speak of rewards being evident based on heavenly garments worn, possibly certain colored threads woven into the garments, uh, possibly writing on the garments and so on, based on some scriptures and studies of theirs. Um, additionally, the, the Word of God says that uh, we will rule and reign with Christ during his uh, thousand-year reign on earth and will be appointed positions based on our Christian lives, based on, um, you know, if you go back and look at the parables of of the, the, the men were given, one was given the five talents and the three and the one, and then the one had the five talents doubled, right? And then the one that had one talent went and hid it in the ground. And, and he was condemned for that, for not producing fruit. And so, uh, that's something that we could look at in our lives or, or are we taking what God has given us and producing fruit for the kingdom? Uh, we will be judged on what we do. <clears throat> so my point is that as Christians, though we do not lose our salvation, we will certainly be judged and held accountable for our works, our actions, and the words we speak while on this earth. And that does include any unconfessed sin. It will have an eternal effect. It will. Now, there's one thing, and I just want to make this, I think it's an important point, because uh, I know a lot are, are just, uh, especially probably if you're uh, a Pentecostal denomination, you're, you're thinking that what I'm saying is it's heresy, and, and, and you know, I'm, I'm leading people down a path to, to hell, and and I'm not. I'm reading right from the Word of God. And, uh, you know, I, I know that I have studied hard and prayed hard and the Holy Spirit spoken me into this. And I'm reading the scriptures that people are saying are the ones that send people to hell. But that's not what those scriptures are saying in the context that they're written. So I, I hope, though, um, that you'll read and study those points. And But nonetheless... This is a very important point. We are called to live holy lives and to follow after the Spirit, not after the flesh. We are called to do many things under the new covenant. And, and the greatest is love the Lord our God with all our heart and our mind and our soul. And the Word of God says that when we are born again, we are born of God and of His seed. That means we are reborn in the spirit with the nature of God and the sin nature we were born within the flesh is dead and gone. Now, having said this, if an individual claims to be a Christian and they continue flagrantly in sinful things after professing salvation, and you see no change whatsoever in their life, uh, they're making no effort to transform themselves by the renewing of their mind. I 
must question if they truly believed in their heart and confessed Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Uh, I'm not the judge. I'm not the judge. But when we receive the nature of God, it's not the nature of God to desire to continue to live in sin. Now, we have to transform our flesh by the renewing of our mind. We have been given the Holy Spirit who teaches, comforts, and who convicts us of sin. We have much work to do and much to learn in order to transform our flesh. But being transformed doesn't mean that we will not fail at times and fall into sin. Satan is the great deceiver who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But when we have the nature of God, we are led to follow the things of God, not the lusts of the flesh. When we do fail, we can trust that we have an advocate in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who is seated at the right hand of God. We have the Holy Spirit of Almighty God living inside of us who will convict our hearts of sin and who will also teach us, guide us, and comfort us if we let him. That's all for this episode. Join me in episode 43 as we continue to discuss the topic of religion or word of God. We're going to pick up here where we left off. I want to thank you so much for listening. May God bless you and keep you today and every day as we grow in faith and live the faith life 365 days per year.